Luke chapter 7. Let me quickly explain to you uh, what's going to be going on this Friday night. The youth department's having a fundraiser. It's going to be mom and dad's night out. It's just an opportunity where you can bring your kids all the way up to age 49. uh, And you can bring them and the teenagers will babysit them. Uh, We'll have our ladies there to help. And it's just a good opportunity for the parents to get out. If you want to go, uh, you know, get dinner somewhere nice and you don't want to pay for the kids. Or uh, if you just want to have a quiet evening at the house alone and uh, read your Bible together. I'm sure, I'm sure that's usually what people do. But uh, if, if whatever you want to do, the youth department will be able to uh, assist that. And you can come and you can bring the kids. We will have pizza there if you want your uh, kids to eat. Uh, just please help us out with the cost there. It's going to be donation only. Hopefully, uh, uh, we'll have some generous donors. That's what we're hoping. If not, we'll just charge. <laughs> I don't know if we can charge afterward. It's like, well, if you brought your kid, we're going to charge you $10 because we didn't get enough money the first time. But uh, hopefully, it'll work out well. It's just an opportunity maybe to, you know, a lot of fundraisers work very well for the kids and don't offer many services to you. Right? So a fundraiser, hey, I want you to buy this terrible mug that you don't have any need for. Well, this is just an opportunity for you if you want a night out on the town. Uh, it's just an opportunity for you to come and, and we'll give you a little service and you can give us a lot of money. That's the way it works. So, yeah, yeah. Luke chapter 7 this morning, we'll start in verse 36. Uh, the Bible says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Now that would be a bad day if Jesus looks at you and says, I got something I want to say to you. Well, guess what? This morning he does. This morning we sit under the preaching of God's Word and Jesus is standing in this room today saying, I want to speak to every individual in this room. Now, if you're going to be like Simon and just say, Master, say on. And let it roll off your back. There will be people that leave this building like that today. But maybe you'll be the woman at His feet in humility and receive something from Him. Verse 41 Jesus has something he wants to say. There was a a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears. 
and wiped him with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat in me with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he, saith, and he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful to be in church this morning. And Lord, we meet as a local assembly of believers wanting to hear something from you. Lord, your word is so powerful. Your word is so beautiful. And Lord, I pray that the people in this room today would open their hearts, that your word would be able to penetrate even the hardest of hearts this morning. I pray that you would help me fill me with your spirit. And it's in your son's precious name I do pray. Amen. Amen. When Amy and I first were gotten married, or we were actually planning getting married, and that's pretty much the lamest process ever for the guy. That just means, you know, the guy's just trying to wonder where he's going to go on his bachelor party. This is what that means. Like, should I go to Academy or Dick Sporting Goods? Christian bachelor parties, of course. And so uh, my wife and I were trying to figure out where we were going on our honeymoon. And we had narrowed it down between Hawaii and the Virgin Islands. Uh, and uh, we decided that since we were getting married on the East Coast, it would be terrible to fly seven hours to California and then another six hours to uh, Hawaii, uh, newly married. So we decided to just shoot straight down the coast and go to the Virgin Islands, which was about a three-hour flight. But as we were planning all this stuff, we realized that to book a hotel room, you needed a credit card in your name. Well, I was young. I didn't have a credit card. I had just mostly paid cash for everything in my life. And so I had a debit card, but no credit card. But they needed a credit card just in case you destroy the room, I guess. You set it on fire. They can charge your $5,000 limited credit card. Uh, Good luck with that, okay? Because I'm pretty sure your room costs more than my credit limit. Just saying. But anyway, we needed a credit card, so we began to search throughout the town. You know, we were, we had, I have two banks here in town. I bank with Wells Fargo and I bank with First Financial right up here. And none of them know me other than Wolfenbarger. And that's getting less and less known because they just stopped caring about us a long time ago. Because, but uh, anyway, so we were looking for a credit card. So I went down to First Financial Bank, tried seeing what they could do and Basically, they told me that I was just a poor little kid and I had no business with a credit card. And so I went down to, uh, I went down, they saw my account balance. So I was like, I see where you came to that conclusion. <laughs> and so I went on to Wells Fargo and, and I asked them if they had a, a credit card that I could use. And, and they said, uh, well, we have a prepaid credit card. And I was like, okay, explain that to me a little bit. It's like a credit builder credit card. And so basically what you do is you pay however much money you want into the card. And it works very similar to a debit card for the month. But at the end of the month, you better have that thing back up to whatever limit you have. So if you have $300 on it, which is the minimum, you need to have it back up to $300 at the end of the month. 
Well, this was the only thing I could get at that moment, so I went ahead and did it. And then uh, we worked a little harder, and I realized, well, I don't have very much cash on this thing. I probably need to get something else. And so my dad had worked it out where I could piggyback on his credit card, which has a little bit higher limit than $5,000. And so uh, we were I was piggybacking on his credit card. And so uh, Gene Wolfenbarger was here. Well, my card said Andrew Wolfenbarger, but technically it was his card. But it was in my name, and it worked well for what we needed it to. But I remember going through all these application processes and, man, I did one for Capital One. I did one for all these airline miles. I did one for a cash back. I did one for, you know, you're still paying us to get paid. You know, I mean, you're not getting anything in return. You're actually paying us at the end of the month just to use our card. I, I tried everything and all of them rejected me. All of them rejected me. It was terrible. Every time I got one, I was like, well, okay. And, you know, when I got the Cabela's one. I got the Cabela's letter. I was like, oh, Lord, it is your will that it is a Cabela's card. I remember opening that and being so terribly disappointed. They said, you're just a poor little redheaded kid and you have no business with a credit card. It was a terrible day. I remember that. So I basically had this little bitty prepaid card that works just like a debit card. I had this one that piggybacks off my dad. Well, over the two years of my wife and my marriage, we, I have slowly but surely built a little more credit as I'm paying on things like her car and her car and uh, her car. And uh, as, as we've paid on this, you know, I, I, every once in a while, I'll just, you know, get an application. I'll send it in. Well, about two months ago, sent one in to U.S. Bank. I don't bank with U.S. Bank. They don't know who I am. They don't know I'm redheaded. They don't know I'm poor. And so I remember sending that in, and I got the letter, and I was just expecting to open it and and read, Dear Mr. Poor Little Redheaded Kid. But I opened it, and there were two blue cards taped to that thing. One of them said, Andrew... And one of them said Veronica. I was like, they got your name wrong. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It said Amy. It said Amy. Just kidding. <laughs> it said Andrew and Amy Wolfenbarger. And I remember celebrating. I remember going into my wife. I'm sorry, Brother John. I know this story is not to your liking. Brother Dave Ramsey, I apologize. But look on the bright side. I got a blue card with my name on it. That's all that matters. I don't have to pick it back on my dad. I was excited about it, right? I remember that day and I looked at my wife. I was like, look at this, baby. We got approved. I went over to my dad. We were eating at lunch. I just took my wallet out, threw it on the table. I was like, what about that, old man? (laughs) I remember I put that back in. Her parents came into town. I just walked in like this one day. U.S. Bank. (laughs) Yep. I loved it. It was exciting. But something about the credit card process does scare me. I mean, it really does intimidate me because I know a lot of homes are ruined because of credit cards. I know a lot of people go into massive amount of debt. And so I want to be very careful with my credit card. And and it's not a high limit by any means, but, you know, it's big for me. And so I do have this little bit of fear involved in my credit and my debt ratio. It's kind of scary to me. And I, I just couldn't imagine being at the end of the month owing more than I could pay, and getting calls from people saying, you owe this much. 
You need to answer our phone calls. I couldn't imagine that would be terrible. You know, there was a time in everyone's life in this room where somebody made that call. It might not have been financial, but it was more spiritual. Whether you know it or not, today you were in debt. A debt that you could not pay. And the collection agency, Satan himself, was calling you and saying, Sir, you need to pay this debt. And you were avoiding the phone call. You had no ability within yourself to pay what had to be paid. So this morning I want to take a brief brief look at the value of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Something that, man, if we just grab onto the forgiveness of God, I believe we'd have great things in, in store for this church. But first of all, to understand the forgiveness, the value of it, you have to understand the debt of forgiveness. You see here in verse 41, we see the amount of debt that that Jesus speaks of. He says, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. Now, I'm not going to go into the technical aspects of how much 500 pence is, 50 pence. All that we know is Jesus said, one guy owed a little, one person owed a lot. But at the end of the day, neither one of them could pay the debt that they owed. The other day, me and JT were going fishing, and Brother Jerry and Miss Diane were uh, going fishing too. Well, they went down to another lake, and they decided to try it out. Well, all the boat ramps were closed. They called me and said, do you know of anywhere to go? And I told them where we were going that afternoon. So they went out out to the boat ramp, and they were there a little bit ahead of us. And so we pulled up. I'd never been to this boat ramp before. Uh, All these boat ramps cost to launch your boat, and I I didn't know how much it was going to be. I, I, I had about $3, which is about what most boat ramps cost. And so I pulled up and I knew I had my debit card and my U.S. bank credit card, just in case you were wondering. I knew I had cards and I pulled up to this lady uh, there in this little hut where you're going to launch your boat. And uh, she said, uh, that'll be $9. Or she said, uh, I handed her a card without her ever saying anything. I handed her a card and she said, oh, we only take cash. I was like, okay, okay, well, I have $2 in my wallet. JT, do you have anything? No. (laughs) Convenient, JT. No, I remember. And then, you know, you got the change compartment in your truck, right? I do anyway. It's all pennies, basically. And I'm scrounging out every dime and nickel. Anything that's silver in there, paper clips, anything that that looks good to go in this payment. And so I'm scrounging out. I got about $3.50. And the lady pokes her head out and she goes, you know, that'll be $9, right? Well, this, the only boat ramp on Lake Whitney or the river, this is the most expensive one I've ever heard of. Most of them are three bucks. I have a pass that I can just flash because I have a credit card. You know, I just flash this pass and I, I get to go in. I paid for it, a yearly pass. But this one's not like that. And she looks at me and she says, $9. And I go, well, where's the nearest place I can get cash? And she said, well, it's back in Rio Vista, back a little bit. Well, Brother Jerry and Miss Diane were already waiting at the boat ramp for me. They were already in the water, and so I kind of felt bad they were waiting on me, you know, because they don't know where to go fishing without me, obviously. We didn't catch any that day at all. So, but uh, I, And so I'm like, okay, well... 
ma'am, can I run down to the water real quick? We're meeting some people down there and, uh, and, and maybe they can help us out and get to, you know, $9, which is astronomical to launch my boat in water that's public. Anyway, you know what's unique? $9 isn't that much money. I mean, to launch your boat, I guess it looks like a little bit. But $9, I mean, we pay $9 at McDonald's to eat a meal. I mean, some chicken nuggets, a couple sweet teas, and a large fry, you're at nine bucks. Nine bucks isn't that much money. But to me, at that moment, it might as well have been $9,000, which is above my limit. (laughs) It very well could have been $9 million. You see, I could not have paid what they were asking. There was no way that I could scrounge up enough change, enough money to look at her and say, here's my payment. You see, it was the same way with our sin debt. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter whether you're up here short of the glory of God or way down here short of the glory of God. You're still short. You see, to understand the forgiveness of God, you have to understand the amount. And in this story, the Lord is not teaching us that some people are better people and they they can't love. He's saying everybody should love because you've all been forgiven. Man, the amount was so large. You see, sometimes, uh, you know, you sit around these testimony circles, especially at youth camp uh, and you and Bible college a little bit. And these people go around and, you know, usually it starts with me because I have the lamest testimony. It's like, well, I was a kid. I got saved as a kid. <laughs> and then these other people have these great testimonies like, oh, I was the king of heroin. <laughs> I was in prison 33 times. You're eight years old. I was a bad man. And they go around and they start telling you of these drug addictions and these alcohol addictions and all this stuff they did before salvation. And you're like, well, my testimony is super lame compared to that. But you see, it took the same exact amount of blood on the mercy seat of God to forgive me as it did any sinner in this room. You see, the Lord's not teaching about the amount of sin, but rather He's teaching us of the acknowledgement of sin. You see here in verse 42, the Bible says, And when they had nothing to pay, He frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love Him most. You see, this is the scenario that's going on. Jesus sits at a man of the law's table, a Pharisee. No doubt Simon was probably a very good man. And Jesus comes into Simon's house, probably a very nice house. He's a Pharisee. Probably very clean, very straight edge. And he sits at his table. And Jesus looks out and this woman outside uh, comes in to begin to wash the Lord's feet. Now Simon obviously gets a little offended at this, that Jesus is invited into his house. Now this trash woman has followed Jesus into the house. And now Jesus says, you know what, Simon, I got something to say to you. And he tells this story about two men who were forgave. One man forgiven less, but he was forgiven nonetheless. 
And you see, Jesus is looking at this woman and he says, yeah, in your eyes, this woman may be a much greater sinner than you, but you're still a sinner. And the thing that breaks my heart about this story is that Simon was sitting there in his uh, righteousness, clothed in his pressed on man righteousness that fell so short of what you need to get get to heaven or to impress God. And and he falls so short and Simon's sitting there. Well, I'm so much better than this woman. And this woman falls at Jesus' feet. And you see, Jesus tells the story because he's saying, I am right now looking in the eyes of a woman who's uh, buried her hair on my feet. And I'm looking in the eyes of a man who can't see his need for forgiveness. You know, the hardest thing about going door to door soul winning is telling somebody that they're a sinner because America doesn't believe it. We are a backslidden nation and on every corner and on every turn, there are sin on signs, there's sin in our gas stations, there's sin on our televisions. Boy, this world has a lot of sin in it, and especially America is just rampant with sin. And yet I go knock on the door at somebody's house and say, Sir, did you know you're a sinner? He says, Nope, not me. (laughs) You're the only one that I've ever met. The hardest thing about soul winning is getting someone lost. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, "Uh, look, I would love to save you, but I need to get you lost before I can save you. So much so that in Luke 15, as Jesus is uh, is teaching the people, he says, the Pharisees come around and say, oh, you're just hanging out with a bunch of sinners. You're hanging out out with a a bunch of uh, wrongdoers. And Jesus says, which man of you having a hundred sheep And lose one would not go search for the one. And when you find him would not rejoice as you carry him back. Jesus then goes on to say in verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. You see what Jesus is saying is, He had the same problems I do when I go door knocking. His problem was 99 people wanted to, com- uh, wanted to claim greatness. They wanted to c- claim that they were okay, just fine without God. But Jesus says, you know who I rejoice about? I rejoice about the one person who's willing to acknowledge that you've done wrong. Who's willing to acknowledge that you're not a perfect person. I'm willing to rejoice over the man who says, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. That's who heaven gets excited about. And denial in Christianity is so crazy. No, I'm not a sinner. Denial in America. No, I don't need to be saved. My friend, everybody's a sinner. The Bible says for all have sinned. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way and become unprofitable. You see, every one of us needed forgiveness. And it's hard to understand just how valuable forgiveness is. Until you understand what you've been forgiven of. And it doesn't matter whether you were saved at five years old or 55 out of a prison ministry. God still forgave you. And I'm grateful that He loved me enough to forgive me. You see, we first of all look at the debt of forgiveness. Then secondly, the display of forgiveness. This is how this woman begins to react to Jesus' forgiveness. I mean, she's now at His feet. 
Jesus has said, your sins are forgiven. And this, in verse 38, we see the forgiveness brings forth humility, always. In verse 38, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Forgiveness will always bring forth humility. You see, most times in Jewish culture, what would happen is they would have these open air houses. They would be, uh, dignitaries would come in and, and people of renown, for instance, this man Simon, they would invite the dignitaries to come in. Now, Jesus' fame has spread well abroad the nation now, and, and Simon invites Jesus to come and to sit at his table. Now, the group of people around the table were probably just very uh, a select few people who were, uh, had money, who were famous, who were good doctors of the law. Those were the type of people at this table. But around the house, what happened was people who weren't rich, normal people, poor people, they were able to stand around the house so that they could hear what they were talking about. And now as this picture's taking place, Jesus is sitting at the table with Simon uh, I'm sure that this lady, this sinner, stands outside and, and she hears the words that Jesus is saying and, and, and she waits for the right opportunity because I'm sure Simon was just grilling Jesus about uh, his theology. And, and now what happens is I'm sure Simon turns around to get the, the Pillsbury croissants out of the oven because that's every great meal's got to have Pillsbury croissants, right? You know what I'm talking about? We had steak last night. Guess what was on the side? Pillsbury croissants. They're amazing. Nobody can make anything better. They're a greatness. And I can shove those things down. You know what's great is sticking a hot dog in them with a little jalapeno, a little cheese, make, make you a pig in a blanket. Hoorah! That's what I'm talking about. And that's my Rachel Ray quick tip cooking moment for the day. But I'm sure as Simon takes the... Uh, the Pillsbury croissants out of the oven. Now the attention's away from Jesus. And so this woman comes in the door and just falls at his feet and, and, and begins to weep, begins to just uncontrollably sob. And now her tears have hit his feet and, and maybe she feels a little bad. And so she begins to take the only thing that she has, which is her hair, and she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. And Jesus' feet would not have been clean. They'd been very dirty. And so now... On her hair is a very muddy mixture of tears and sand that have been on feet. This is how humble this woman that she would come and just fall at Jesus' feet, weeping because of who she was and who He was. You know, it's sad to me that Christianity and the Baptist church has become so dry-eyed. I mean... We sing the driest versions of I surrender all and wash all my sins away that I've ever heard. A man of God stands up here with 47 years preaching experience and a great man of God. And he stands up here and preaches and pleads and begs people to come to repentance. And and he preaches the blood and he preaches the salvation of the cross. And we sit in our pews, at the invitation, and there's no tears at this altar. Forgiveness will always bring humility. 
The Bible says in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. Uh, the Lord will not despise that. And so what I'm saying is if, if we had some type of plants down here that were only watered by your tears, I wonder how well they'd be growing. I wonder if in our church, maybe we've just become a little too accustomed with hearing how great the love of the Savior is. I wonder if we've just kind of allowed it to roll off our back one too many times that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, came to this earth and uh, was placed on a cruel cross and the creation uh, uh, crucified the Creator. And I'm just wondering today if, if we've heard that story one too many times. And our eyes no longer are wet. And our hearts no longer are broken. And we as Christians are no longer humble. You see, forgiveness will bring a broken heart. I remember two years ago at youth camp, Brother Brian Sams was preaching. I've been to youth camp my entire life. I've been, you know, I'm 23 years old and And I've been literally 23 times. Have I not, Brother Jim? Every year it's ever happened, I've been. I've had some embarrassing moments at camp. One time I urinated in front of the cafeteria on the largest tree. The only problem was the cafeteria was made of glass. (laughs) And I wasn't facing away. (laughs) I've had some great times at youth camp. But two years ago, I guess it was my first year ever as youth director at youth camp. I remember going with our teenagers. And I remember Brother Brian Sams on Tuesday night preaching a story. uh, Preaching about Daniel. Preaching about how teenagers ought to have good attitudes. They ought to have good attitudes towards their parents. They ought to have good attitudes. And I remember that Tuesday night. Going into a room and staying up till 1 o'clock in the morning. Because teenagers were so broken. I remember tears flowing like I've never seen. And you say, oh, it's just emotion at youth camp. Well, that comes on Friday, but this was Tuesday. This was one day after the teenagers had been there. You know what happened? The Word of God was preached and teenagers were thrown over the barrel. And the Lord was able to do something great that night. And I remember... And when you're at a time like that and you get out of church at nine and you're just sitting in a room with teenagers confessing sins and weeping and crying and praying, you don't hurry that process up. And I remember staying in that room till one o'clock in the morning with teenagers. Brother Andrew, I know we're not allowed to have cell phones, but can I please borrow your cell phone so I can call my parents and apologize? Wow. Amen. You see, when you hear the old, old story, it tends to break you. And I'm afraid some of us have become a little callous, like Simon. He sits across his table in his pharisaical high house and he says, This woman's just a sinner. no, No tears fell from Simon's eyes this day. But the one woman who truly understood forgiveness was broken. You see, forgiveness will always bring forth humility. Secondly, forgiveness will always bring forth honor. Always bring forth honor. In verse 37 of this chapter, the Bible says, And behold, the woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus said at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. You see, she brought what was most valuable to her. And not only did she give it to the Lord, because 
the disciples had this thing where if something valuable was brought, they automatically wanted to give it to the poor, right? They wanted to sell it and give it to the poor. No, she brought it to Jesus and she didn't give it. She broke it and said, you know, the poor, they can find money somewhere else. What I have is going to be used to glorify you, God. Jesus, I'm going to take the one thing that's most valuable to me. I'm going to pour it on your feet. And I'm just going to thank you for what you've done for me. Not long ago, I guess this was about a year and a half ago, my, me and Brother Luke were going visiting and Garrett and Matt Hodges were with us. We call them the Mormon missionaries. <laughs> For no particular reason other than one day they wore black pants, white shirt, and a black tie. <laughs> Can't go visiting with you, brother. Did you bring your bicycle? You can throw it in the bed of the pickup. <laughs> so we give them a hard time about being the Mormon missionaries and it's fun. Well, maybe I needed to be riding a bicycle this day because I was on Main Street doing about 45. And Mr. Police Officer quickly informed me that it was 35 on Main Street. I remember getting pulled over and I have no luck with police officers as far as getting out of tickets. Now, Brian Archer, I think they feel bad for him. Uh, I remember Brian Archer one day said, I never get tickets. I literally the day he said that got a ticket while I was with him. And I almost just started yelling at him. Just, oh, you're a loser. You're a loser. Ah." But I have no luck. I remember one time we were in Dallas. My dad told this story the other day. I was the son he was speaking of. My sister was the sister he was speaking of. And I remember we were going and I was chauffeuring. I was uh, chaperoning her and her date that night. And I remember coming back from Dallas and driving mom's car, which was, you know, I don't know why mom thinks she needs to drive a Mack truck everywhere, but she had one of those huge cars. And so I'm trying to get over in Dallas traffic. Couldn't do it. Rolled up on traffic, uh, rolled up on construction. Police officer gets out and he comes to my window and never says anything like driver's license and registration. None of that. He says, you realize we got to go home at night too, don't you? (laughs) Do police officers have homes? (laughs) Just thought you rolled at the station all day waiting on folk to call you on donut run. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, and... uh, I didn't know what to say. I'm just, I mean, I was like 17 at this time. I had no clue. I was like, sir, I'm really sorry for ruining your day and endangering your going home at nights. I remember my, he was talking to me a little bit and my sister decides to talk and she says, sir, we're not from around here. As only Mandy could say it. And he wrote me a ticket that night, which ended up costing me $570. And he gave me this ticket and said, next time you come to the big city, leave her at home. (laughs) Did he not? Those exact words. Exact words. Well, I'm on Main Street and we're getting, I got pulled over and I was doing way more than I should have. But we were just laughing and having a good time because serving the Lord and soul winning is fun, contrary to popular belief, even when you're with the Mormon missionaries. Right, Garrett? 
And I remember this day we were going down, this, co- this police officer pulls us over. I, I pull over and, and I'm like, all right, sir, here's my driver's license. And, and Brother Luke just spoke up and said, sir, we're out on visitation for the church. Pulled the church card. He <laughs> said, we're on visitation for the church and, and we were just having a good time. We were laughing and I'm sorry this happened. And so the police officer goes back and writes me a warning. And I was doing like 11 over the speed limit. And I've gotten tickets for like six over. I don't get out of tickets. And this guy comes up to my door and he says, you know what? Just, just next time, watch it when you're coming down Main Street. I remember what this man looks like. He's a skinny fella. He's got this awesome mustache. You know, I saw him the other day driving in Joshua. Me and JT were together, and I looked at JT and I said, That man right there, that's a good police officer. (laughs) I might be biased a little bit, but that man's got it down. Now, Senior Fernando up there in Dallas, not so much, but this man, this man's got it down. You see, he had forgiven me of something where I didn't really deserve mercy. I was 11 over the speed limit. The law is 35. I was doing 11 over. I was doing 46 miles an hour. Guess what? I should have gotten a ticket. And he looked at me and said, you know what? Don't worry about it. He just gave me a warning. You know why two years after this, I'm able to look at JT and say, that guy right there, he's got it down is because he forgave me. You see, when you realize just how much you've been forgiven of, you know what you want to say to everybody around you? You know that guy? You know the God of the universe? You know the one that died on the cross for me? He forgave me. And he's got it down. You see, every time that you remember and you recall the forgiveness of God, you know what happens? You ought to want to honor God. You ought to want to honor Him. First of all, we saw the debt. We see the display of forgiveness. And then finally, look with me, if you will, the deliverance of forgiveness. Now, it's 12 o'clock, but I'm going to preach this point because this is a good one. This is a good one. The story's not gotten good until right now. Uh, the deliverance of forgiveness. You see, this is, she's reacted to God's forgiveness, but this is how Jesus responds to her. She's been forgiven. She's been saved. And this is what forgiveness does for her. This is what forgiveness now does for us. First of all, it produces relief. It produces relief. You see, I don't know how this woman came to Jesus. What, what, what made her come to this house tonight? I don't know. But may I just throw a hypothetical situation out there? May I just, just maybe give you an idea of what may have happened? One day she's walking through town and she hears some women speaking. Now these women don't like her. The only people that like her are a few men. Nobody in the town likes her. People look at her with either a look of hate or a look of despise or a look of lust. And she comes to these women and she's just passing by, minding her own business. And this woman is telling this other woman, Have you heard of this Jesus guy? Some say he's a prophet. I don't know if I believe that. But the other day, he was, he was around here and he was saying something like, Come unto me, all that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and my burden's light. 
Now these women, they're, they're kind of joking about what this means. <laughs> what is a, we're not oxen, we don't wear a yoke. But this woman, she understands what kind of burden she carries. She feels the oppression of her guilt every single day. With every look of every man glancing at her, she feels bad. So when she hears the words of Jesus, Come unto me, all that are weak and heavy laden, she knows she fits that bill. When she hears of Jesus saying, Come unto me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, she says, Boy, I would like to have a little bit of a lighter burden. You see, as now she hears Jesus has come to town and now he's eating in the house of Simon. Now she stands at the door and she can hear what he's saying. She can see what he's talking about. And she says, I've just got to go. I've just got to get to him because the guilt of my life, the weight of this sin, my profession is not a respectable one. I am not a respectable person. But I need to get to Jesus because something's got to be taken off my shoulders. And she falls at Jesus' feet. And the first bit of crying I truly believe was repentance. But after that, I really believe it became relief. Jesus looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. Every other man's looked at her with nothing but lust. And Jesus looks at her with love and says, you are forgiven. Now, wherefore she felt bad about her sin. Now she feels great that her sin's completely gone. You think this woman wasn't a little excited about the relief that Jesus could provide? You see, the question today is not whether you're a sinner. The question today is whether you'll admit you're one. The question today is not whether Jesus can provide relief. It's whether you'll accept the relief He provides. You see, and you might be in this room this morning and you might be dealing with something and and you might say, I have some terrible background. I have some terrible history. You might be sitting in this room and you say, currently I'm dealing with a situation and I know I'm not right. And I know if other people knew about this, I would not be respected. Let me just say this. You can feel guilt. You can feel shame. You can feel the weaklessness, the helplessness. But my friend, there is one who stands today offering relief from your sin, offering you forgiveness. And you don't have to live with the shame. And you don't have to live with the guilt. God looks at you and says, you can be forgiven of your sins. You don't have to walk around with your head held, held low. You can walk around as a child of the King. You see, Jesus provides relief, and He provided relief for this woman. Secondly, He produces reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, this point's so good. In verse 50, the Bible says, Thy faith have saved thee. Simon had no desire to see this woman around. He had no want for her to be near him. He only wanted her to leave his home because he didn't want her stank to rub off on him. Jesus looks at her and says, you're saved. The God of the universe now looks at you and calls you his child. You're saved. Let me say to you this morning, I don't know if everyone in here in this room is saved. In fact, to be real honest with you, I believe there's a lot of people lost. You say, Brother Andrew, how how can you say that in a Baptist church? I believe there's people lost in this room this morning. 
And I believe just like this woman, Jesus looks down on this congregation and he looks at us and he says, saved, saved, sinner on their way to hell, saved, saved, sinner going to hell. And he sees this congregation and he sees the people that he wants to come to repentance. He sees the people that he wants to be forgiven. And he looks at this congregation and he provides you reconciliation. The Bible says in Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see this morning, you don't have to be on your way to hell. Jesus offers you reconciliation. The blood has already been shed for the atonement of your sins. You see this morning, you can come to this altar and you don't have to sit down in this congregation anymore uh, worried about dying and going and spending an eternity in hell separated from God. But God looks at you and says, I beg you, I plead with you, come be reconciled by my death. You see, God reconciled this woman. He can reconcile you. But thirdly, it produces a role. It produces a role. Forgiveness produces a role. Not a croissant role, but a role. Look at this in verse 39. This is the most interesting part of this story to me. In verse 39, you see the Bible says, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. This is where it gets good right here, folks. You see, Simon sits across the table and sees this whole fiasco going down. Doesn't want this woman in his house. Doesn't want Jesus in his house, to be real honest with you. And now he looks at this and he says, I, this is a terrible evening. I, this man claims to be a prophet. A following of his followers claims that he's a prophet. But I tell you this evening, I look at him and I see a man that's just a liar. He's no more a prophet than I am because he doesn't even know what kind of woman he's dealing with. May I say unto you, Jesus was more of a prophet because he, it doesn't take anything to see the past. It doesn't take talent. It doesn't take prophetic vision to see what this woman was as Simon was speaking of. May I say unto you, Jesus was a prophet because he saw what she could become. He saw, Simon only saw her past. She was a sinner. If he only knew what she had done, Jesus looks at Simon and he says, I tell you what, Simon, I'm more, a, more of a prophet than you're going to give me credit for. You know why? Because I see her repenting. I see her future as a Sunday school teacher. I see her, uh, I see her in a ministry somewhere serving God with her life. I don't see her past, Simon. That doesn't take talent. That doesn't take prophecy skills. You know what I see? I see a woman who's coming to God and giving her life to God. I'm glad when Jesus was in the burning bush and looking at Moses' face, I'm glad he didn't see a man that had slain an Egyptian man in anger. I'm glad he didn't look at Moses and say, oh, you're not qualified for the ministry. You can't do anything. I'm glad he looked at Moses and saw a man who could lead a nation of Israel out of bondage from Egypt with the power of God. 
I'm glad this morning that when Jesus was walking the shorelines of, uh, of the uh, Gadara, I'm glad that he was able to look out in a boat somewhere and see a man named Peter fishing. And, and although Peter had a lad mouth, uh, although Peter probably cussed from time to time, although Peter was not a great man, a very rough man, I'm glad Jesus didn't see what Peter was. I'm glad that Jesus saw Peter in Acts chapter 2 standing up, proclaiming the word of God, and men and women getting saved by the thousands at the day of Pentecost. I'm glad when Jesus uh, came down and spoke to a man by the name of Saul on the Damascus road. I'm glad that when he knocked him off his donkey uh, and he looked at Saul, he didn't just see a man that had persecuted the church. I'm thankful that he didn't just see a man that had done wrong all his life, a doctor of the law, but he was so righteous and, and so pharisaical, but he was killing Christians. I'm glad that Jesus didn't look at Saul and said, you can't become anything for me. You're a nobody. You're a has-been. I'm glad that Jesus saw Paul. I'm glad that Jesus saw a man that would author more than three quarters of the New Testament. I'm glad that he saw what Paul could become and not what Saul was. You see this morning, you say, I'm not a talented person. You say, I don't have any skills, any attributes to speak of. In fact, to be honest with you, preacher, my background's a little rough. My, my, my past is a little hazy. You see this morning, I'm glad to tell you that I serve a prophet. My Jesus Christ doesn't look at the past. That takes no talent. Man can see the past. But I tell you this morning, Jesus Christ looks at you and he says, you have a rough past. You have a rough background. This morning I look at you and I see a man who can give his life to God. I see a woman who can give their life to God. And I see people in Joshua Baptist Church who can become something wonderful for God. You see, it doesn't take talent to see the past. Men can see the past. God sees your future. You see, if we could only bite down on really just how special forgiveness is. Just how wonderful forgiveness is. I believe we could settle some roles in this church. In 1830, there was a man named George Wilson. He had been tried and convicted of male theft. And what happens was now George Wilson had been tried, convicted, and now he was sentenced to be hanged. Well, after some time, George Wilson was on death row. President Andrew Jackson wrote George Wilson a a pardon for for the crime that he had done. George Wilson, however, denied the pardon. Said he didn't want it. Now, authorities were a little baffled as to what to do. The president says he's forgiven. The man doesn't want to accept the forgiveness. They go to the chief justice, John Marshall, and this was his decision. He says, a pardon is just a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. You see, the pardon is just... A slip of paper. Just some promises in an old dusty book. But this morning, if you're willing to accept the pardon that Jesus offers you, you don't have to be tried. You don't have to be convicted. And most wonderful of all, you don't have to be condemned. Amen. 